words for our consideration this morning is the account of the transfiguration according to St. Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, beginning at verse 2. Jesus gives Peter, James, and John a glimpse of his true glory. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, Lord Christ. You may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Heavenly Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Their heads were spinning out of control. They couldn't believe the words they had just heard come from their teacher's mouth. It was shocking, it was upsetting. It was a topic that they didn't want to even think about. And seemingly, out of nowhere, Jesus drops a bombshell on the disciples. What did he say? What caused the disciples to be filled with so much anguish? Well, if you look back to the end of chapter 8 of Mark's Gospel, we find out why the disciples are distressed. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus had just finished teaching and preparing his disciples for the cross that he was about to suffer and die on. And not only was he going to suffer, Jesus told them that they were going to suffer because of their connection to him. This was heavy stuff. And so Jesus gave his disciples a few days for those words to sink in. Given the shock of what they had just heard about his cross and theirs, and the suffering that they were soon about to go through, when they witness Jesus' passion, Jesus decides to take some of the disciples up the mountain to encourage them. They needed this mountaintop experience. They needed evidence of who Jesus really was, even more so than they'd ever needed before. They needed encouragement. And so Jesus takes his inner circle Peter, James, and John up the mountain to give them exactly what their faith needed. And there on top of the mountain, Jesus is transfigured. He becomes whiter 
than anything could ever be bleached. His glory is shining out from him, a glory that he largely hid while he walked on this earth. And not only did the disciples see Jesus shining brightly before them, but they also saw Jesus having a conversation with Moses and Elijah about his upcoming departure. Both of these prophets knew what it meant to suffer for their God. Both of these prophets had gone through a great deal of suffering for many years because of their love for God and their loyalty to his word. They knew all about the oppression, the pain, the discouragement that comes from faithfully serving God. They knew all of this, and yet they weren't ashamed of their Savior. They loudly and proudly confessed him all the days of their life. And because of their faith in this good and gracious God who sent Jesus, they were rewarded with the glory that they were now sharing in, the glory that comes after the days of cross-carrying are done. I want you to think for a moment about those disciples there on the mountain. They had been on a roller coaster of emotions. Both mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, things seemed all topsy-turvy. And now Jesus lets them catch a glimpse of heavenly glory. He takes them up there to encourage them, to cheer them on, and to prepare them. To prepare them for the valley that they were about to go through. Note how inseparably connected the two things are. Heaven's glory and the cross. You can't enjoy or experience heavenly glory without bearing the cross of Christ. It's impossible. We first have to carry the cross before we receive the crown. So how has that been going for you these days? Life is full of mountaintop experiences, but... As you and I are well aware of, life is also full of valleys. Our lives go up and down, up and down. Like a roller coaster, so are our lives lived in this sin-filled world. But valleys and mountaintops are both necessary. They both serve a very important purpose. But how often do we miss out on the point? of the mountaintops and valleys. In the valleys of sorrow, we need to remember the evidence of God's goodness and grace and to anticipate their happy return. And on the mountaintops, we are moved to be thankful because they're interludes of joy and peace. And those mountaintop experiences are designed to prepare us for new valleys. Both Valleys and mountaintops are necessary for us as we walk this road that leads to eternal life in heaven. But that's not always how we feel. We'd rather have a lot more mountaintop experiences and avoid the valleys altogether. Have you ever caught yourself grumbling at God as you find yourself in the midst of one of those valleys 
carrying one of the crosses he's called you to bear? Why, God? Why me? Can't handle this. Can't handle it much longer. Lord, surely you've made a mistake. Have you been there? Have you been so frustrated and fed up with the valley that you cry out to God in anger and frustration? What about when you're on the mountaintop? Do we always stop and give God the glory? Or do we pat ourselves on the back because of all the hard work and effort we put in to climb to the top? Valleys and mountaintops are designed to do one thing, to focus our attention back onto Christ. And yet, too often, our focus is anywhere else but Christ. We need those valleys to keep us from becoming arrogant so that we don't forget our absolute and constant need of our Savior's presence and forgiveness and help. Those valleys help curb our sinful nature's habit. Because deep down, we all have the same habit. When things are going good, we get arrogant. And we forget about the giver of all of these good gifts. But we also need those mountaintops. So that we don't get too preoccupied on ourselves and overwhelmed with the valleys of sorrow that we might find ourselves in. Mountaintops remind us that valleys pass in due time. So can you think back to some of your mountaintop experiences? Maybe it was the day of your confirmation as you stood and made your promise to be faithful to God all the days of your life and family and friends were there to support you, cheer you on. Maybe it was the day of your wedding or the day that a child was born. On those particular days, maybe you marveled more than normal, at the goodness and graciousness of our God. We all have those mountaintop experiences. Can you remember the valleys? Perhaps it was a time of trouble and unrest in the home or at work. Perhaps it was a time of financial pain and burden. Maybe you found yourself in the deepest valley of the death of a loved one. Maybe it was a valley of guilt and shame as the fall into sin was overwhelming your conscience. Whether on top of the mountain or in the valley, they're there to do one thing, to focus our attention on Christ. That's why Jesus brought these disciples up the mountain to see and witness the glimpse of his glory, to refocus their attention on who Jesus was before they were about to go through the hardest valley they had ever been. And in his great love, despite what Peter wanted there on the mountaintop in that moment, Jesus came down from the mountaintop. Jesus descended the Mount of Transfiguration in order to ascend another mount, Mount Calvary. Jesus didn't remain on the mountaintop, basking in the Father's light, reveling in his divine glory. 
Jesus came down the mountain to finish what he had started. And Jesus knew what awaited him. He knew what it was going to cost him to rescue mankind from sin, death, and the power of the devil. Jesus knew that all of his friends were going to abandon him when he was arrested. Jesus was literally going to carry his own cross, the cross that would execute him as he suffered the criminal's death. Jesus knew that his heavenly father was going to turn his back on him in the moment when he needed him the most. Jesus descended that mount of glory in order to suffer hell in our place so that we would never have to. In fact, that's what we just sang about in the hymn right before this one. In stanza four, it says, Our Lord again ascended a mount, the hill of shame. Upon the cross he proffered himself to agony. His holy soul he offered to set the guilty free. Because Jesus came down from the mountaintop and walked through the valley of the shadow of death, you and I have been forgiven. Our sins have been washed away in the blood of the Lamb. And what is it that the Father told these disciples as they were catching this glimpse of Jesus' glory? This is my Son whom I love. Listen to Him. Listen to Jesus in his word and in his sacraments. It's there that we see the God made flesh, the God uncovered, the God that is no longer hidden in a cloud. There in the person of Jesus, we see what God is all about, how he is good and gracious, how he is our savior, not a consuming fire, but a God of love and peace. And how does that all become clear to us? How do we come to believe it? How do we experience the joys of being the Father's child, both now and ultimately in heaven? Well, the Father tells us by listening to him. What God wants for his Son, whom he loves, is to suffer and die to redeem mankind. And that's what Jesus wants too. And what God wants from us is to listen to him in his word. To listen to that message that brings life. The verb that is used for listen is a verb that expresses an ongoing action. We are to always keep on listening to him. Because it's through this word, through the glorious message of the gospel, that we are connected to our Savior's life, death, and resurrection, that we receive eternal life and are assured of our heavenly inheritance. And there's one very important thing that we listen to in this message that Jesus highlighted at the very end of that bombshell that he dropped on his disciples. It's there in the word, in the gospel, that we are reminded that death wasn't the end for Jesus that three days later he would rise. And because of that truth, death is not the end for us. Death is now the doorway that leads to heaven. 
Why the trip to the top? Jesus wants to prepare us for the valleys that follow. Jesus takes us up to the top this morning to give us a glimpse of his glory. And this glory now fills us with comfort and peace and strengthens us to go out from here and carry the crosses that he has called us to bear. May this time spent on the Mount of Transfiguration fill you with the strength needed to walk faithfully with God. May it remind you that you have a Savior who loves you, who doesn't walk with you only on the mountaintops, but is there with you walking through the deepest, darkest valleys. May this trip up the mountain assure you that Jesus can't wait to be reunited with you in his Father's house. Why the trip to the top this morning? To see his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. Please stand. And may the peace of Christ, which transcends all understanding, continue to guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. We continue this morning by confessing our faith, and we'll use the words of the Nicene Creed printed on pages 10 and 11 in your worship folder.